0: million dollars a year, so Boomer we'll see what happens. Air is getting to his head. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. College basketball news, uh, oh, sorry, college football yeah. news real quick. Uh, Colorado, who recently fired head coach Gary Barnett, uh, interviewed two potential replacements. Uh, Dan Hawkins, the head coach at Boise State, who's done a great job with uh, that program, le- leading to a 52-10 and 10 record during his five years there. He was uh, interviewed and uh, former Colorado player John Embry, who was a, a tight end for the Buffaloes in the 80s, uh, and that was the head, co- the assistant head coach and tight ends coach at UCLA. He was also interviewed. I mean, the, the other thing that hit Colorado yesterday. There's another scandal. There is an email sent out by one of their uh, offensive tackles to a member, a minority member of the. Cross country team, a Hispanic member, who he used racial slurs against, and has now been suspended. I think, I, I doubt he's playing for their bowl game. Uh, so, well, if if Gary Burnett was still a head coach, yeah, yeah. Then he probably would be. He probably would be rewarded with a start and a captain logo or something. <laughs> See, I thought I thought what happened was it was like the offensive lineman's girlfriend that used it, but I I don't even well, know the what offensive, offensive lineman's girlfriend was on the cross country team and left the women's cross country team around the same time, and the apparently their email was sent out from the, her boyfriend's email. So I'm saying he wrote it, and he's a terrible person. All right. So with that note about terrible people, we're going to wrap things up for today. For Dave Bickle, Tony Bolton, Pickus, right behind me. I am Steve Lake saying Good night. This has been a production of WCBN Sports 88.3 FM, Ann Arbor.
1: And we'll now the bases are loaded for Samantha done. Finley.
0: And the Michigan with a chance to bust this open. She has ball, ball. Face it down the left field line. it scores. Here comes Giampaolo. Giampaolo scores. Merchant goes in a third. It's a two run double for Samantha Finley. And Michigan now has a 6 to 2 lead. And Michigan, one out away. He's heading back to Oklahoma City. Danny Ritter looking for that final pitch here in 2005 at Alumni Field in what has so far been the greatest season in Michigan softball history.
2: Now the 0-2 pitch, swinging a ground ball to the right side. Haas has it, so it's the first
0: It's time and the ballgame game is over. And for the eighth time in the last 11 years, the University of Michigan is going back to Oklahoma City to make their eighth appearance in the Women's College World Series. is running with the law.
2: We're talking home. Aussie and the straw. Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Grey Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. Staying cold out there.
1: <clears throat> Crispity cold.
2: Interestingly, by the way, the uh, Michigan area during the fall as well as the upper uh plains area i uh, had the third warmest autumn of all time this is based on records uh that began back in 1895 and new england uh was the fifth warmest so i guess it's payback as they say and the global warming deniers are probably delighted that this cold weather is heading because it'll even out some of the temperatures for the year and uh they can claim victory. Plan mm. for victory. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Anything involving victory. Well,
1: <clears throat> well, here's a great victory for uh, freedom and democracy uh, in America and around the world. Apparently, uh, Governor Schwarzenegger has determined that people must die.
2: Terminator.
1: Terminator is not going to pardon anybody at the last minute. And uh, despite the fact that uh, numerous reasons appear to uh, exist for the continued existence of Stanley Williams, uh, who has consistently denied the four, an uh, involvement in the four murders which have him uh, sent to the death penalty, um... Thus raising uh, the question again, what kind of a Christian nation is the United States, actually, if it so boldly asserts that uh, claim? Um, you know, Here's a guy who admittedly uh, was involved in all sorts of uh, crime and antisocial behavior as a, a gang leader, but who has, as they say, turned the new leaf in prison and has done a lot of pretty valuable work for his community. Um Pretty remarkable uh, to think that uh, this demonstration of, you know, trying to give something back to the community uh, in which, as a gang member, he did so much to work against is ultimately rendered uh, completely null and void. Uh, That's the death penalty, folks.
2: Yeah, and I think that it's interesting that it's juxtaposed on a day in which the President of the United States is part of this. PR campaign to uh, resell the war to the American people was asked a question in uh, Pennsylvania uh, in which he actually, for once in his entire presidency, I think apparently took unscripted, unrehearsed uh, uh, random questions from the audience and admitted publicly that 30,000 people had died as a result of the war in Iraq. Um, And, of course, his statement in justifying the war says it's, quote, something, and I'm paraphrasing here, I'd make the decision again. Removing Saddam Hussein makes the world uh, a better place and America safer, quote, unquote. And for the president to actually acknowledge that 30,000 people have died as a result of the war while acknowledging at the same time it's something that he would do again. Right. Well, that's pretty (laughs) remarkable, Um, because uh, everybody in the world can acknowledge that removing Saddam Hussein uh, may have been a good thing, but the question is, what is the cost? And the cost, uh, at the moment, is uh, incalculable, Um, let alone the calculations that we do know, that it's well over $200 billion, uh, you know, 2,100 American soldiers died, 30,000 Iraqis dead. And basically, a total muddle of the Middle East. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's remarkable.
1: Well, it's not going to play well, and of course, the hardliners here say, who cares how it plays in the rest of the world? We're America and what we say is. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, uh, this is very reminiscent of Madeleine Albright's "We think the cost is worth it." you know, the cost of the sanctions, meaning uh, potentially a half a million Iraqi children uh, dead, um, that's not going to play well in the rest of the world.
2: And so. I uh, want to echo uh, Harold Pinter's uh, uh, derisive speech uh, just uh, issued last week uh, when he accepted the Nobel prize for literature, uh, basically stating that Blair and Bush should be uh, tried before the Hague as international war criminals, Uh, something that I agree with personally, uh, and uh, needless to say, uh, uh, my personal opinion is not the viewpoint of WCBN or the Regents of the University of Michigan.
1: This is also true, but I bet you that it's the viewpoint of a great number of people that live in this fair city. Uh, but uh, speaking of uh, should be tried at The Hague, so should Saddam Hussein have Indeed. been tried at The Hague. And of course, his trial continues to veer out of control, um, lurching ahead as a chaotic spectacle, as Doug Strzok wrote for the Washington Post, with Saddam grandstanding and, you know, shouting things out. Do you want the neck of Saddam Hussein? You can have it. Well, that's great theater and everything, but of course uh once found guilty shouldn't be too hard to do. Uh, they can only hang him once so uh uh but later on in this article further in rather uh Doug struck wrote that the trial had been planned by Iraqi and u s authorities since Saddam's capture in December two thousand three a calculated gamble they decided to try him in Iraq rather than before an international tribunal abroad. while well, it was thought that this would be instructive for the Iraqi people to show how a trial works in a democracy, but of course there is no democracy in Iraq, it's uh, something that's being uh, crudely thrown together, and essentially avoiding uh, bringing Saddam Hussein to an international tribunal in The Hague is could be seen uh, by the U.S. as simply an ass-covering fix. Uh, they don't want Saddam to be tried uh, in The Hague because there's a lot of embarrassing uh, connections to Reagan and Bush. Peoples
2: and uh, I saw a cartoon in today's San Arbor News in which Saddam Hussein about to be hanged demands a new rope uh, because it's been used a thousand times before, and of course he's been able to turn this uh, trial into a little bit of a show business circus sure and uh, that hasn't uh, I don't think succeeded in the Bush <coughs> administration's ultimate goal of uh, picking the new successor and of course uh, the administration. Uh, this week, we'll we'll hear all sorts of uh, bizarre and ridiculous claims about this upcoming election, right? And there are just dozens of uh, reports that, of course, the British government and the American government are attempting to do everything possible to somehow get Alawi. Uh, in the coalition, possibly the prime minister. Well, two of the three guys uh, jockeying for prime minister
1: uh, have CIA connections. Yeah. So, between Alawi and Ahmad Jalabi is still roaming the streets, apparently. I'm sure he's well uh, well
2: protected in the green zone there. Uh, well, he was even brought to Washington about a month ago for a image uh, repair job in which uh, good old Condoleezza Rice was uh, involved. I I just, uh, I heard this British uh, BBC report about the uh, upcoming movie of the Chronicles of Narnia. Ah, yes. About to, it was released over the weekend, and it was, uh, the uh, reporter said, a lion, a witch, four children, and a talking beaver. And I thought, (laughs) geez, that sounds like the Bush administration. I thought it was another story about the Bush administration. And uh, we'll leave it at that. Oh, wow. That's
1: actually not very far off. But uh, it's nice to note that the uh, article here uh, in today's uh, Ann Arbor News by Dexter Filkins of the Times. Oh, yes. Yeah, Schoolboy chums. Schoolboy chums. Old chums. Gathering around to beat, uh, pay others to beat others up. But uh, it notes that, and this really is the vision of democracy that I suppose Bush and his handlers have in mind, Um Prime Minister hopefuls share elite past. That's what democracy is, where common folks are given a list of elites to choose one of uh, from a roster to guide a, a nation's future. And so, sure, I guess that's democracy. So uh, this will be interesting to see what exactly Bush has in mind in this uh, revision of uh, the foreign aid apparatus. Interesting article in the Financial Times today about that. um, Wanting to uh, assert more political control over international assistance. Um, And this means that, uh, well, uh, aid distributed to uh, foreign countries is going to be subordinated to the administration's drive to promote democracy, which should go over well in the midst of our Saudi allies and Egypt, etc.,
2: Well, it's interesting, too, that uh, on July 20, the uh, July 25th edition of The New Yorker, I dragged up an old Seymour Hersh article about uh, the blatant effort by the Bush administration to influence the last uh, so-called free election in which, you know, the symbol was the purple finger, right? Bush timed perfectly for the State of the Union. And as I recall, uh, they had a person with a purple finger sitting next to Laura Bush in the uh, halls of Congress as the President uh, gave his uh, annual State of the Union address. But this is just a very interesting article about the details of what actually happened in which the Bush administration, uh, using the CIA uh, and the so-called Track 2, a covert group, uh, were manipulating uh, public opinion in Iraq to, uh, as they put it, American authorities in Iraq did an operation, quote-unquote, to try and influence the results of the election. Quote, they had to, a Pentagon consultant said. They were trying to make a case that Alawi was popular and uh, he had no choice. And this was part of a um, problem that the Bush administration had when they apparently briefed um, the leaders of the House and Senate um Last uh, year, this was basically in 2004 before the January 30th uh, so-called election, which uh, I'm sure the Bush administration characterized as a turning point in the history of Iraq as well as America. Uh, of course, it hasn't proven to be uh, the case at all. And they were worried about uh, Nancy Pelosi uh, ratting out the uh, the, the plan. Um, so it's very interesting. Um It turns out um, that they actually used not only members of the CIA, but also part of the Pentagon, uh, because they were exempt from this law. And quoting from Seymour Hersh here, I was informed by several former military and intelligence officials that the activities were kept in part, quote, off the books, unquote. They were conducted by, a retired, by retired CIA officers and other non-government personnel and used funds that were not necessarily appropriated by Congress. Some in the White House and at the Pentagon believe that keeping the operation off the books eliminated the need to give a formal briefing to the relevant members of Congress and congressional intelligence committees whose jurisdiction is limited in their view to officially sanction CIA operations. The Pentagon is known to be running clandestine operations in North Africa and Central Asia today with little or no official CIA involvement. So this is a fascinating revelation. Uh, it then goes on to detail how alawi actually did better uh, in the January 30th elections of last year. So we uh, uh, we can presume that this will happen again. Um, as Hirsch notes, the pro-Iranian Shiites did worse than anticipated with 48% of the vote, giving them far less than the two-thirds that they needed to form a government and thus control the writing of the Constitution. Alawi's slate did well, at least compared to his standing in earlier polls, gathering nearly 14%. The Kurds won 26% of the vote. They had undoubtedly benefited from a large, coordinated, and legitimate turnout. But the Turkmen and the Arabs... Two minority groups in Kurdistan held public protests accusing the IECI of mismanagement and fraud and demanding new elections. So this is going to be the continuing problem with these elections, quote unquote, that are going to occur in a couple of days. um, Because it's been widely reported, by the way, that the British government is uh, in cahoots uh, with this so-called plan to uh, have Alawi do better than expected.
1: Well, I mean, we already know for a fact that the the Bush administration uh, through the Pentagon has p- paid for the placement of articles which favor uh, events from an American perspective. Uh, elections are probably easier to uh, con- commit fraud uh, during uh, today than they ever have been because of the whole electronic process, regardless of whose fingerprints are inky or not, um, and just the complete bastardization, as we've mentioned before on the show, of the word and concept of democracy itself. What what they're talking about is not really democracy. I mean, if you look at the historical record of the United States in the Middle East, in country after country, what the people of those countries have demonstrated that they want and have wanted for years are secular democracies with a kind of a socialistic edge that's going to uh, use the resources of the country for the people of that country. Whenever that's happened, as it did most famously perhaps for the Mideast uh, in Iran in 1953, well, we have to overthrow that popularly elected democratic leader because uh, that goes against our own corporate needs and uh, America's attempts to shape the world. And I see that... uh, Donald Rumsfeld uh, and a number of others have rediscovered the old word caliphate. Oh, yes. And they're making uh, great stock out of this, trying to turn it into uh, the new uh, bogeyman, an Islamic caliphate. Well, this is just complete hogwash and utter propaganda. There's no way that the the Arab world is anything like monolithically unified on any number of uh, issues. And to talk about that much uh, real estate here is really just an attempt to uh, deflect attention away from the United States' grab of real estate throughout Central Asia and you know right up into and around China. So, uh, and of course,
2: it's reminiscent. There's a caliphate. Yeah, reminiscent of the concept of monolithic communism in the absolutely 50s and 60s that was used so effectively uh, by the military industrial complex to justify. Uh, Wars in Asia and uh, Ever-Increasing Pentagon Budgets. And yeah, this article by uh, Elizabeth Boomer is interesting in terms of identifying the usual suspects that have been part of this PR uh, campaign, uh, specifically uh, Dick Cheney and Donald, you big dummy, Rumsfeld.
1: Well, some of General Abouzade's comments are disturbingly incorrect as those analogies. Um, his reference to, oh, just as we had the opportunity to learn what the Nazis were going to do from Hitler's world in Mein Kampf, we need to learn what these people intend to do from their own words. Well, just dig up Project for a New American Century and you can discover what crimes are going to be perpetrated uh, for that agenda as well. Uh, and, you know, by the way, U.S. industry cared very little about the rise of Nazism and fascism in general. In fact, I think they admired it because uh, the way it so successfully completely shredded uh, people's movements, labor unions, etc. And that's another thing that the U.S. has worked so successfully to uh, destroy in countries like Iraq uh, throughout the uh, decades past, is to undermine the, the people's movements.
2: Well, and one paragraph that leapt off the page at me was this one. The term caliphate has been used internally by policy hawks in the Pentagon since the planning stages for the war in Iraq. But the administration's public use of the word has increased this summer and fall around the time that American forces obtained a letter from Ayman al-Zawari, the number two leader in al-Qaeda, to Abu Musab al-Zarqawi, the group's top agent in Iraq. The (laughs) 6,000 word letter dated uh, in early July called for the establishment of a militant Islamic caliphate across Iraq before al Qaeda's moving on to Syria, Lebanon, and Egypt, and then a battle against Israel. Well, I don't know if Ayman al-Zawari wrote this letter, but it strikes me that it's fascinating that his worldview agrees with the, Hawks, the Pentagon Hawks' <laughs> worldview and gets back to the question, when did Osama bin Laden leave the American CIA? And who was the mastermind of the 9-11 attack? Uh, inquiring minds want to know, but of <laughs> course the so-called masterminds of the 9-11 attack um, have never been brought before any uh, independent, um, shall we say, judicial body uh, for a trial or an examination of relevant facts. And getting on to that disinformation campaign, there was something that struck me about how great uh, this uh, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Crone characterizes psychological warfare. He says psychological operations are are an essential part of warfare, more so in the electronic era than ever, said Lieutenant Charles A. Crone, a retired Army spokesman and journalism professor. Quote, if you are going to invade a country and eject its government and occupy its territory, you ought to tell the people who live there why you've done it. That requires a well-thought-out communications program. This from an article by Jeff Gerth about this propaganda operation uh, that turns out to have been orchestrated by the Rendon Group uh, in which they subcontracted out this uh, planting of false uh, stories in the Iraqi media by the so-called Lincoln Group. And it's interesting how the word Lincoln keeps popping up in scandals uh, from recent <laughs> presidencies. We have the Lincoln bedroom from the Clinton years. We have the Lincoln savings and loan from the Reagan years. Indeed. And now the Lincoln group. But I, it, when I read this quote, I, it struck me this is the entire problem with the Bush war. If he believes this, if you're going to invade a country and eject its government and occupy its territory, you ought to tell the people who live there why you've done it. (laughs) This is the whole problem. His message is repeatedly designed for the Iraqi people, but the American people are a different, shall we say, demographic group, and they don't buy this. So uh, I think therein lies the whole problem with the war. One other problem, though, is that if you invade From a the, country, yeah. overthrow
1: its leaders, and occupy its land, you have committed a war crime Indeed. of aggression, especially when you lie about the extent to which said country poses a threat to one's own country, which clearly was the case here. Um, so, But it's okay, as long as you explain everything. And this is why you hire... Uh, the person who designs the Uncle Ben's Rice campaign to market the war,
2: or uh, to quote another uh, paragraph from this Jeff Gerth article that cracked me up, Lincoln. This is the Lincoln Group that was uh, hired by Rendon, the Rendon Group that have all kinds of very close associations to the Carlisle Group and other various uh, nefarious organizations, nefarious folks in the, uh, the the Washington milieu that was behind the war. Lincoln says it planted more than a thousand articles in the Iraq and Arab press and placed editorials on an Iraq website, Pentagon Document Show, for an expanded stealth persuasion effort into neighboring countries. Lincoln presented plans, since rejected, for an underground newspaper and television news shows and anti-terrorist comedy based on the Three Stooges.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Watch this. That's, I mean, that's just, you can't make stuff like that up. I know. It's
2: it's classic. It's so funny. It ought to be ludicrous. Made into a television show. Oh, boy. I think. uh, Did you hire these
1: wallpaper hangers? Oh, I certainly didn't.
2: (laughs) I think the Three Stooges operating the Iraq War would be uh, an improvement (laughs) problem. (laughs) Because we know it's Rumsfeld, Cheney, and. Curly, Mr. Bush. Oh,
1: man, that is remarkable stuff. Well, gee, where to go next here? Uh, several really interesting stories in the last week, just to come back locally here and, and speak ever so briefly about Michigan, about uh, Lake and water pollution. No. We're getting a report that the uh, Great Lake chemical uh, pollution has remained pretty much constant since 1990. There's been no sign of improvement. Um, this in... Uh, uh, apparently later this week, uh, the Bush administration is going to announce its strategy to clean up the Great Lakes. Well, that is something to look forward to in great hope.
2: I'm sure Halliburton has a... Uh Water cleanup uh, group somewhere in there. They're well
1: positioned to meet those needs. Yeah. uh, So I'm told. Uh, But then there's also, of course, an item about uh, even more local here good old Paul Sciences, uh, a.k.a. Gelman. Sciences, of course, the reason for the name change is, is multifaceted, but one of which was just to kind of get rid of the taint of Gelman, which is responsible for the largest dioxin leak, uh, in this area. Uh, apparently uh, had to replace a pipe last week. A new pipeline has been successfully constructed to replace a leaking one that carried contaminated groundwater from northwest Ann Arbor to a treatment facility. Uh, Vice President for Corporate Environmental Engineering with Paul uh, said that the monitoring has going uh, well and suggests that the plume has not spread. The quote here is interesting. In the next two months, we are going to continue sampling wells on a weekly basis to make sure there's no expansion anywhere. Well, Once the test proves that it's expanded, then the plume has expanded. You can't do anything about that. But uh, the corporate argument here is that the pipeline ran through an aquifer that was already contaminated, so there was no threat in continuing its operation. What kind of a mentality is that? I mean... (laughs) Just because the aquifer is 100 feet below the ground doesn't mean that it ultimately does not pose a threat to the safety and well-being of the members of this community. I mean, this is the water table.
2: Yeah, and and water in the Great Lakes region, you know, with respect to the toxins, um, you know, that's a very important uh, story. Um, And it's interesting, of course, this time with winter, we've, we've got more and more stories about how salt... Uh, Road salt that's thrown on the roads uh, fairly liberally in some places uh, to deal with the icing problem is ending up in um, the water systems uh, basically throughout the entire (laughs) mid-Atlantic, you know, Midwest and and causing all sorts of problems as well. And I heard a story specifically about the fish in uh, Lake Michigan. Uh, They're noting that the whitefish are increasingly skinny because they are running out of small food uh, supplies as a result of this pollution. So um, where are the priorities in the United States of America? Uh, well, death penalty in uh, California is the number one story today. Yeah. That uh, sort of sums it up. <clears throat>
1: well, probably worth uh, – no, got a little item here about the Pope uh, – But we can save that for next time. There's plenty of time till Christmas. It's probably worth mentioning uh, in the few minutes that we have left uh, the deaths of Richard Pryor, noted stand-up comic and social critic, and Gene McCarthy, um, who, of course, probably should have been the Democratic Party's uh, candidate for presidency in 1968, I think, for a number of reasons, Uh, the movement within the party's old boy network to go for Humphrey the sitting vice president at the time, uh, proved to be devastating, not just for that
2: party, but for our country. Well, they pointed out that McCarthy and uh, Bobby Kennedy had 80% of the delegates, yeah, and that was the problem. This was essentially a smoke-filled uh, decision uh, made behind the scenes. McCarthy, of course, um, created the problems for Lyndon Johnson that led him to resign or uh, decide to withdraw from the uh, nomination, Uh simply because he got, as I recall, about 40% of the uh, vote in... uh